Good morning. Um, this morning, uh, I want to share with you uh, just a few thoughts. I can promise you this, that this will be brief, which that may be good news uh, to you. But I want to share with you a few thoughts that I have been wrestling with recently. Uh, and, and as God seems to have given me this opportunity to be here this morning with you, I feel like it's appropriate for me to share with you uh, the things that, that I have been working through and wrestling with and, and all of that this morning. The, the songs that David just sang, uh, led us in uh, here a few moments ago, really capture a lot of what I want to talk about. Um, do we really believe that worship is all about Him? And broaden that, expand that, to believe that life is all about Him. Uh, if our lives are acts of worship, as Paul talks about in Romans 12, is Jesus what we are worshiping in our lives? Uh, is that evident in our lives? A way, a way for me to think about this is to think about ultimate realities. You know, there, there is often a debate, uh, between what is reality? You know, is it, is it what is real? Or is it what we perceive to be real? Um, is reality what we think it is? And so we think it's this way and so it affects the way that we live? Or is reality something bigger than that, uh, that's supposed to shape and affect us? And, and that's what I want to get at this morning. That, that reality needs to shape and affect our lives. Uh, and we need to allow our perspective to be changed, to be transformed, so that we are aligning with what is ultimately real, not what we think, not what we want, not what somebody else is telling us, uh, but what is ultimately real. Uh, and I want to look at that in, from a, a couple different places this morning. I want to look at it in Psalms, since we have been in the Psalms, uh, and then I want to jump to the New Testament and look at it uh, from, from Paul's perspective as well. And I think there is a consistency between uh, the two places. And in both places, the emphasis is on this reality. Here is the reality. We are owned by God. We are owned by God. Let me say, say it to you another way. As believers, we are God's very own possession. We are His own possession that He has purchased by the blood of His Son, Jesus. Last week we spent some time in, in Psalm 139. Um, and we're going to, if you want to turn in your Bibles, there's not going to be any PowerPoint, uh, sorry to disappoint. Um, hopefully you have your Bible, and if you do, please turn uh, with me to Psalm 139. We're going to read that uh, again. That's where uh, Brad preached from last week, and I'm not going to uh, be preaching from that, but it's going to be the place that we are going to start uh, start from. Before we get to that, though, um, in John 14, Jesus says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think that that statement is a lot bigger than, than just a statement of, here is the way to salvation. All the other ways you know, don't lead to salvation. I am the only way. I think that statement is a lot bigger than that. That is true. That is absolutely true. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But he also includes truth, which I would say is ultimate reality, leading to life. And life is not just eternal life 
when we die, but it is living life in the presence of God right now. And so when Jesus talks about being the way, the truth, and the life, I think he is making a huge statement that needs to impact and affect us right now in the way that we live. Not just, you know, an intellectual idea. Okay, he is the way. All right, I got to pray this. I got to, you know, follow these uh, steps. Uh, that's the way. The truth, uh, you know, everything about him is true. Okay, and then life is the gift I get when I die. That statement is a lot broader than that, and I think that it's going to tie in with what we are talking about this morning. But let's, uh, uh, we're going to read Psalm 139. Um, before we do that, let's pray. Father, would you please lead us this morning? Would your spirit direct us? Would your spirit speak through your word? Would it be powerful and effective in our lives? Would your spirit help us now? Keep us from being distracted. Keep us from uh, allowing the, the thoughts that fill our minds, uh, the things that weigh on our hearts, to pull our attention away from you this morning. So, Father, I pray asking that your spirit uh, would control all that happens here this morning, that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I have ascended to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies." Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These words by David describe being known by God. They describe God knowing everything about him, that he can't go anywhere without God knowing where he is going. He can't have any thoughts without God already knowing them. In fact, God formed him. God knows him. And I think that it's the knowledge 
that David and the other psalmists had, this intimate knowledge of God knowing them, that helped shape and form these other psalms that we read. And we're going to look at several different ones uh, this morning. But I think that there's this, this knowledge, this understanding that comes when we get that God has formed us, that God has made us, that He knows everything about us. I think when we get that, it changes the way that we see life. It changes the way that we live. It changes what we do with our lives. When we recognize the intimacy that God has for us in knowing us. I want to look at several other Psalms um, uh, that kind of display, what I would say display this passion. That when we get this in our minds here, you know, when, when we come to understand this, this big picture reality, that it affects our passions. It affects what we are passionate about. And uh, later on, I'm going to help define what I mean by passion. And, what I, and I'll just say right now, I'm not talking about uh, you know, being giddy uh, or, or being uh, exuberant uh, or, or these kinds of things. That's not what I mean when I say passionate, not just emotion. One of the things that is really awesome about the Psalms is that they, they are filled with emotion. Um, and they help uh, in, inform us about emotions. You know, and so we have all these psalms, and they, some of them, uh, there's joy, some there's sadness, uh, some there's thanksgiving, some there's confusion and, and questioning. You know, and we have all these, these emotions that are coming out. But the psalms don't just inform us uh, and, and reveal to us emotion. They also are to instruct us in emotion. And so as we mature and as we grow, our emotional response to life ought to be coming more and more like the psalmist's reaction and response to life. Uh, and so there is instruction in the psalms, not just, uh, not, not just pictures, um, but instructions for us. But let me, uh, let me read a couple of these psalms, um, and I want you to hear... Uh, what I would say is the response of the psalmists to this big picture idea that they are known by God. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the, sing for joy for the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to You, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let Your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If You, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. And then I want to read uh, Psalm 63. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Because Your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise You. So I will bless You as long as I live. In Your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you on the, in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by Him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Some of these things that that these guys are saying, I think come out of understanding ultimate reality. And as we understand this, our soul longs for the Lord. We recognize that His love is better than life. Like a deer that that longs for water is how our soul waits and desires the Lord. Those are responses to getting it, to understanding it. I want to um, jump over to Philippians now. And I want to to make the connection here um, with Paul. Um, and as I was reading through Philippians uh, this week, there's, there's one line that just, it just jumped out at me. Uh, and I have read, you know, these verses are so familiar. I even preached on them, I think, like a year and a half ago or two years ago, something like that. Um, and, and yet there is a line in here uh, that is so powerful uh, to me right now, and, and that's really kind of the essence of where all of this is, is coming out of, um, is this. But, but I was struck by the similarities between Paul here in the New Testament, uh, and, and these writers of these Psalms. There is a similarity, uh, in these passages that has to do with a passion that comes out of knowing God and being known by Him. 
And I don't think that, that it is just for biblical writers. You know, I don't think that, that, that this is the, uh, uh, this is the way that these guys were, and so that's why they were chosen to read the Bible, and there's no expectation or thought that that should be or could be true of all believers. I don't think, I really don't believe that to be true. Uh, I believe that these guys are examples, examples to us of what happens when we are consumed by the knowledge that we are owned and possessed by God. Uh, and Paul even talks about uh, being an example uh, and, for, and, and imitating him in these verses. Uh, but we're going to jump into uh, Philippians 3 at verse 7. And Paul has just uh, been making a case uh, why he should be able to boast about his life based on his education, based on his heritage, uh, based on, on the way that he pursues things and is passionate and zealous. Uh, and he's saying, I ought to be able to, to claim those things as something, you know, as something valuable, something important. But instead, um, he says in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Let me read that verse again. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but on cit- but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul has just said that he counts everything as loss. Everything as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Everything as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Why? Why does he count it all as lost for the sake of knowing Jesus? Verse 12. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
When we get that Christ Jesus has made us his own, it changes what we are passionate about. It changes what we want to pursue. Everything else is considered loss in comparison to knowing Jesus and being known by Him, being His own possession. What that means is getting and understanding the gospel. This is very serious stuff. This is not a game. Christianity is not a game to be played at. It's not a, a religion that is supposed to be, uh, you know, just kind of walked through uh, and just passive. This is serious business. When we understand the gospel, which is that I deserve death, that I am sinful, and that I would continually choose sin, that I am in rebellion against God, when I get that and realize that God loves me and has sent Jesus to die in my place where I deserve to be, it changes things. It changes what I desire. It changes what I want to pursue. Everything, Paul says, is counted as loss in comparison to knowing these things. So what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? I recently heard uh, John Piper uh, talking about what that, uh, what that looks like. And I love the way that he said it. And so I'm going to say it a lot the way that he already said it. So if you're listening to a sermon and you hear it, think that I want to make sure I'm acknowledging that uh, right now. Because he says it so well. But what he says is this. That Jesus being everything to us, this is what it means. That when the world sees us, they see that our money is not our treasure. Jesus is. When the world sees us, they see that our, that our wives, our husbands, our children, our relationships are not what we treasure. Jesus is. When the world sees us, and they see the way that we act in our job. They recognize that our job and our employment is not what we treasure. Jesus is. When the world sees the way that we think about retirement, the way that we think about leisure, the way that we think about entertainment, they will realize that those things are not what we treasure. Jesus is. This life is supposed to be radically different. Not for the sake of being different, but because we have been gripped by Jesus. We understand that He owns us. And when we understand that He owns us, the things that we desired before, we don't desire any longer. But we are tempted to. And that's, that's the other, that, that's kind of the final point that I want to make about this, is that when I say that this is serious, I'm saying it's serious because this is a war. You know, this doesn't just happen. Oh, I get it now. I am owned by Jesus. Everything's easy now. And I can just easily live out these, these ways of making Jesus more important than everything else. And once I make that one-time decision, I can just live in it now. I think one of the most powerful words in the entire New Testament, when Jesus is talking about his disciples coming after him, he tells them that they have to daily take up their cross and follow him. This life is a life lived daily. 
It is understanding this big picture reality every single day. Because every single day we have an enemy, Paul tells us throughout the New Testament, especially in Ephesians 6, that we have an enemy in Satan and spiritual authorities that is, that is actively pursuing and fighting against us. There is a very real enemy. We also know from a lot of what Paul tells us, especially in Galatians, that our flesh is our enemy. That it is continually trying to creep up and regain control of our affections and our passions and our desires. This is serious. This is a war that we are in. This is a battle that we are fighting every single day to lay hold of this truth, this ultimate reality that we are owned, we are possessed by God. And that needs to affect how we live, how we think about life, what we are pursuing, what we desire. And it happens through the working of the Spirit in us. This is the work of God in our lives, making us like Him. Some of the ways that we, that we get our minds around this daily is to speak this to one another regularly. It is why community is so important. It is why we as a fellowship, as a body, need to be spurring one another on, need to be speaking the truth of the gospel to one another continually so that we don't forget, so that, so that our perception does not shape reality. But we speak to one another about what is true. And so we are in relationships with one another where we are doing that. And on our own, when we are not with each other, it's what is on our hearts, on our mind, and what we are thinking about. I want to uh, just take a couple minutes and I want us to uh, just be quiet and think about some of these things. And then I'm going to close us in, uh, in prayer. And then David uh, is going to come up uh, after that. What is the reality that you live in every day? What is the reality that you live in every day? Is it the reality that is shaped by the gospel? That we have been set free from our sin and our punishment because of a God that loves us? Or is it something else? Is it something else that is shaping our reality, the way that we live. Let's take a minute and ask God through His Spirit to lead us into truth, to convict us where we need to be convicted, and to shape that reality in us. So just where you are seated, uh, I just want you to pray quietly for a few minutes, uh, and then I'm going to close us in prayer uh, after that. So let's uh, let's bow our heads together.